it's the standard to which others look to us as Christians, followers of a perfect God. It's fair to say, you know, that the Apostle Paul had a struggle with this. If you turn to Romans and chapter 7, I won't read it this morning because it's one of those chapters where words run into each other to such a degree that you've got to read it very, very slowly to get the meaning of it. But Romans 7 is Paul's battle with righteousness. He wants to be the best for God. And to sum it up, he, he really has it in a couple of sentences there. He says, the good that I want to do, I'm not doing it. And the things that I should not be doing, they are the very things I am doing. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? In other words, he's, he's tried and tried, and he said, it's absolutely hopeless. I cannot reach that state of perfection which God demands of me. Now, if Paul couldn't do it, well, what chance have we got? If I said to you this morning, it's impossible for us to reach that standard of perfection. So therefore, when Paul writes to the Ephesians and in chapter 6 and writes about the armor of God, why does he tell us to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Why does he, when he says himself that he has failed to do that, why is he saying that we should put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, you know, the answer is quite simple. Because the righteousness which we are to put on is not self-righteousness. It is the righteousness of God seen in Jesus Christ our Saviour. That is the righteousness that we are to put on. And that's why I said right at the beginning, I would hope that the, the end of this message, we will all go away having put that righteousness on. Maybe as Christians this morning, as I look around the congregation, I would say probably all or most of you are Christians. But I would say to you that not all of you have put on the breastplate of righteousness. I went many years before I put it on, I'll tell you. And I'll try to explain to you why that is. The reason so often is the fact <coughs> that the breastplate of righteousness which we are, are seeking to put on is not our goodness and our righteousness, but it is knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we are covered in the blood of Christ. I mean, do we realize this morning, because one of the scriptures we've had over this morning, and, and Malcolm has mentioned it time and time again this morning, is Psalm 103. If you read through Psalm 103, and I won't do that this morning, because it's, it's a long psalm, but about midway through it, you come across this part where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. They're buried in the deepest sea. They are to be remembered no more. Our sins are forgiven. And when I say that, I don't mean the sins of today, but I mean the sins of yesterday. All our past is past. I remember hearing a minister friend of mine preaching on that once a case, and he says, you know, you open a trap door, and in it, you 
sins are slung in and you slam that trap door down and you put a bolt across it and you never open it again. Your sins of the past are in the past that you are forgiven, you are saved and you are covered in the love of Christ. Your sins will never be remembered anymore. Now we say, and I'm a touch of humour here perhaps, to say that there's nothing God can't do. Do you believe that? There is nothing can't do. But I'll tell you one thing he can't do. He can't remember what he has promised to forget. He will remember them no more. That's his promise. He can't remember them. Now, very often we'll say to people when they've done some wrong to you, something like that, you know, they say, well, we forgive and we forget. We forgive and we forget. Let me say this. It's far easier to forgive than it is to forget. Because somebody may have wronged you in the past, and you may say to that person, brother or sister, I forgive you. I do. I really, in my heart of hearts, I forgive you. I will never mention it again. That's it. But can you forget it? Because every time you come across that person, you say, yes, I forget. But not my, it's still there. No, but God forgets and he remembers it no more, your sin. And why I say we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness this morning is that our people are not sure about their salvation. Now, I spent many years in the ministry, one time as an evangelist. We also planted a church in Wellingborough where we spent nine years of working to build a, a new fellowship there. <coughs> I was minister in the... In, North Norfolk for, five, for 12 years, looking after five country churches. I saw many souls that were saved. I saw many wonderful Christians. People coming to Bible studies. You know, it's lovely in some of those country churches where I, I ministered, where there were congregations of a dozen or half a dozen. But we had a Bible study every Thursday night. And on that Thursday night, it was lovely to see them walking into the chapel with a Bible under their arm, eager to study God's Word. It was lovely. It, it was a lovely experience. People who knew that their sins are forgiven. But you see, I knew a number of people over those years in various churches who I spoke to, some of long-standing Christian experiences who would suddenly say to me, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to heaven. No, I said, well, you're saved, you trusted Christ. And I said, well, you don't, you don't realise my past, what it was like. And I tried to say to them, but your sins are forgiven. Not some of them, all of them. Completeness. And if you think that's something that's just in the past, I want to say to you in sincerity this morning that there are people in this church who are unsure of their salvation who have taken the step to follow Christ. Because I've talked with one or two over the past weeks and months and have expressed the fact they're unsure about their salvation. And that's why I say this morning, I don't want nobody to go home being unsure of your salvation. And the way you do that is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on Christ's righteousness, not yours, your sinful past, your sinful present, or your sinful future, because that's what God has covered. 
He's covered the past sins, the present sins, and the sins in the future. They're all under the blood of Christ. That's the righteousness of Christ, which is offered to every believer. And I say in all honesty to you this morning, if you've got any doubts this morning about your salvation for eternity, I would suggest to you that you turn to 1 John and chapter 5 and look at verses 11 and 12, or 11 to 13. One part of it says, He that hath, <coughs> sorry, he that hath Christ hath life, has it, not will have it. And then he goes on to say, These things are right unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. That chapter 5 is all about assurance. If you've got any doubts, read it for yourself. These things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not will have it when you leave this earth, but you have it now. Do you know you can have a taste of heaven now on earth? You haven't got to wait to get to glory to know what heaven is like. You can have a taste of it down here. The glory is yet to come. But you can't have it if your mind and your spirit is clouded by by the unbelief of your sins being forgiven. If you still carry that burden, you have not the liberty, you have not the freedom, you have not the joy of your salvation until you get rid of that burden once and for all. Matthew 22. There's quite a lengthy parable. I don't know if it's on your screen, but it can go up on there. I won't read it through this morning. But it's a parable, and within that parable is another parable. It's a bit unusual. The parable is about the great feast that a king put on for his son. And he throws the door open to all that are part of, like, his family. And, of course, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and Jews at that time. They have rejected him, and they're rejecting his message. And therefore, he's saying to them, well, you know, the kingdom is open now to the Gentiles which started when Peter walked into the house of Cornelius and the chains were broken off and the door was slung open to the Gentile people. You and I, the world over, the gospel was available. That's what that about universalism is the general word for it in that chapter. But way down into that chapter it says that the king, you know, who provided the feast, he looks around and he sees a man there who's not wearing a wedding garment. A wedding garment. Well, I'm not an expert on Jewish traditions and customs, but I understand, and I've tried to read up about this a number of times in the past, but it was a common thing, if you were wealthy enough, of course, you, you couldn't, couldn't do it if you weren't wealthy enough, but when you had a great feast, especially a wedding feast, um, whoever came to that wedding feast as they came through the door, they would be handed a wedding garment. That garment was usually of one of two colours, sometimes yellow and sometimes pure white, mostly white. But as they came in, they would be handed this garment, and they would put this robe on, and it would cover them from the neck right down to the ankle. Now, what's the point of that? Well, in a way, you've got it in this parable as well, because... He throw, the king throws the door open to all who would come in. 
and, uh, and receive the invitation. It's an invitation of the gospel, of course. It's open to all. Now, coming into that place will be the wealthy, well-robed, well-dressed, well-adorned. That's the word I want. They were coming looking their very best. But also amongst those guests, you remember there, you've got the beggars, the people off the street. Those who were lame, those who were blind, those who were deaf and dumb. All kinds of people were coming in and the beggars and they would be in their rags. That's all they had. They would come in. But when they came to the door, they put on this white robe. And when the wealthy came in, they too put on this robe. So when you looked around the sea of people in that wedding feast, they all looked the same. A quality amongst them. It's a bit like a heavy winter when there's a lot of snow. My garden looks as good as anybody else's. It's covered in white. And that's how it is. We put on the righteousness of Christ, and that's what that garment is. No matter what, how good we've tried to be or how serious our sins are of the past, we've put on the wedding garment, and as that is which we are covered in. It's wonderful to realize that wonderful truth, the wedding garment. That is the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness that Paul wrote into the Ephesians says you need to put it on. Because when you have that righteousness, that assurance that your sins are forgiven, then you are protected to all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He can't penetrate. All righteousness is supposed to be useful as a, a chocolate fire guard. Or it might be a bit of wire netting going over as a breastplate. If it's useless, it's full of holes. All righteousness like that. Isaiah 64 says, in the sight of God, our righteousness is filthy rags. It's no good. We can't put that on. But what we put on is the love and the purity and the sanctity of Christ, our Savior. We put that on and we stand before him. I have asked we might close with that um, lovely hymn, and can it be? There's a reason for that. That is the very last verse. No condemnation, no I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my all. My uh, son-in-law, he, he, he's a vicar, and he was a vicar in St. All Saints Church in Newmarket. It was a very fine church, that. <clears throat> Big congregation, about 150, 200 every Sunday. Great congregation, really evangelical, soldiers have been saved week after week. And I remember being preaching there one Easter Sunday. We had this hymn to close with. I never quite experienced anything quite like it. Maybe it was an exaggeration in my mind, I don't know. But I remember as they were singing that, and I came to that last verse, it seemed to me as though a whole sea of the congregation raised their hands and sang it, well, bellowed it out in praise to God. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my all. Do you know there was a time when I wouldn't sing those words? I thought it was arrogance. I did. I thought, how can I go before God with all my sin, my imperfection, and claim, claim the crown from Christ? 
with boldness. How can I do that? And I thought it was arrogance. But Charles Wesley never got things wrong when it came to writing hymns. He got that to perfection. Because there's that one little line that precedes it. Clothed in righteousness divine. The righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Clothed in that. Then when I've got that, I can go boldly to the throne of grace and claim the crown because that's Christ's promise. That's a wonderful truth to realize, isn't it? That, that truth. <clears throat> There's a lovely verse in Scripture, and with the Scripture I told, I'm going to try to close this morning. Now, I, I don't suppose you very often read the letter of Jude, do you? It's a, 24 verses, it's the last book prior to Revelation. But the last few verses are a benediction. You know, and it says like this, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the glorious presence, his glorious presence, without sin and with great joy, to praise be the glory honour and power through the law, save the Lord Jesus Christ. Now unto him who is able to present you faultless. I think it's a tremendous verse that. It's a miracle of grace. One day Christ will take us by the hand and he lead us to the Father with great joy and present us faultless. How is that possible? with all our sin, all our, in the corrupt world in which we live, that the day will come. It's simply because we will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We're not being presented before God in our filthy rags of righteousness, but in his purity. And that's a marvelous truth. We, we will be presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy, with glory, honor, and power unto the whole Father. That's the truth which we need to grasp and hold and keep. Now this morning, if you have any doubt about your salvation, take hold of that promise that your sins are forgiven. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and you will have great joy in this life and for eternity. Amen.